0: Welcome to Best Picture. Now here's your hosts, Andy Young and Colin McLaughlin.
1: And the Oscar for Best Mine Cinematography goes to, How Green Was My Valley?
0: Okay, 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 okay. It's the new bit. It's the new new opening bit. Walk me through your thought process here. I just
1: thought like we could find, you know, specific (laughs) things about the movie. Okay, and give them Oscars for it uh, as part of our new bit because we're changing the the first bit because it was basically the blank check bit as our last episode's guest Dana Schwartz uh, very politely pointed out to us. she yeah. was not wrong.
0: <laughs> what, wait, so best mind cinematography?
1: Mine, like cinematography set in mines. Okay,
0: that's pretty good. That's what yeah. I would give it. I would also like maybe boxing tutorial video. I mean, uh, you cannot
1: give it the Oscar for Greenest Valley because the yeah. valley is not green in this movie.
0: Which I will say, that's a big thing I want to talk about, because there is, like, I wonder if I would have liked this film more or less if they had shot it in color, especially now that we've seen uh, Gone with the Wind uh, go over similar territory. But we'll also, I mean, uh, I want to talk about, like, Grapes of Wrath and stuff. Where were the grapes?
1: Well, I mean, the thing about that is, and, and, like, broadly, to say first, there's very little written about this Like, this is a movie that pretty much exists, like, under the specter of the movie it beat for Best Picture in 1941. And it's so weird coming off of Rebecca and Gone with the Wind, two movies that, like, the books and articles written about just those two films could fill an entire wing of a library versus How Green Was My Valley. There's not a lot of really, like, juicy trivia to get into. But the one thing that I did find out was initially, Fox wanted this to be their Gone with the Wind. They were planning Mm -hmm. to make this, like, a four hour Technicolor epic movie, but World War II. And the only thing I've been able to find is World War Two made that impossible. So I don't know if that yeah. was a budget thing or if it was a location thing or if like Technicolor cameras were being used for other purposes. But what was supposed to be a four hour Technicolor epic to rival Gone with the Wind became like a tight two hour, fairly traditional black and white like drama.
0: But it's interesting you say it because, like, William Wyler was initially the director of the project. And, of course, he went on to direct – well, he did Best Years of Our Lives. He's going to do Miss Miniver next year. But he, of course, directed Ben-Hur, which is one of the that I can't wait to win. get to Miss Miniver. I'm, I'm
1: excited for Ben-Hur, too, which I've never seen. But, like, I'm really excited yeah. for Mrs. Miniver because that movie rules. But all, And that's another thing, though, about, like, the oh, lack that's, of –
0: That's a best picture you've seen that I haven't. That's really Mrs.
1: Miniver. That is that the first best picture I've seen that you haven't? Because you'd seen it happen so. one night. Okay. I, yeah. I, I only saw it once, and it was in school. Uh, okay. But I just remember really liking it and being yeah. very surprised, uh, just because of the like subject matter and the kind of movie it is. Because it was not the like I was nineteen and it was not the kind of movie I tended to seek out at that age. And it right. really really stuck with me. And I. I kind of look at, like, my love of Mrs. Miniver as sort of a stepping stone to, like, me discovering Rebecca and realizing, wow, like, not on the first watch that it was my favorite movie ever, but, like, as I found myself going back and back to the school, like, the RTF screening room to watch Rebecca over and over again and realizing, like, I don't even know what is compelling me to do this, but I think this might be my favorite
0: movie. Okay, I was kind of putting off this metaphor. That's good to hear. Um, but I also like William Wyler just because he's worked with Greg Tolan a lot, who is the DP for a number of classic films, including one we're going to talk about a lot this week, Citizen Kane. Uh, but what's why are we putting these two films against each other, as the Oscars tend to do every year?
1: We're pitting the two films against each other because this is a podcast called Best Picture with Andy and Colin. It's a podcast about the Oscars, the Academy Awards, specifically the few and far-between films that have won the Academy Award for Best Picture, the context of their Oscar race, and the question of what an Oscar win means. My name is Colin.
0: My name is Andy, and I feel like I'm going to get and just for the into si- liking this movie more than you're going to put on.
1: <laughs> well, I was I, before we do anything, I feel like we need to get better about actually introducing the movie, because we've gone 10 or 20 minutes in an episode right without in. actually saying the movie's title. <laughs> the movie we're talking about is the 19... 19- 41 best picture winner how green was my valley directed by john ford so there
0: directed by john it's also well just it's interesting to me that like john because we're both big letterbox boys uh it's not a, it's barely no it's not i just looked it up it's not in his top five movies as a director uh by well, it's not a western, like, we were talking about like well it's not a western but it's also like a lot of people haven't seen it like it's still only known as like the film that beats citizen kane which is the thing I there's not a lot of wanna... reviews for it or anything
1: it's the thing I kind of want to start with, because especially like, you know, we're, we're in this modern clickbaity age where like, you know, maybe once, at, like every couple of months, a screen rant or a cracked or like a CBR can come out with like a, a biggest like Oscar mistakes of all time list mm-hmm. for clicks. And so and I just feel like and I know this was true for me. Tell me if it was true for you. Like you start to get interested in movies. You start to get interested in the Oscars and you kind of come to accept like certain years where there are just these grievous offenses in terms of the movie mm-hmm. that won best picture versus the movie that shouldn't have. Like, yeah. I was Kansas in the same Wolves 2018 that you over were good fellas. Yeah. 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 Right. And I just feel <laughs> like this is, uh, you know, we, we talked about it with Zola and snow white, but snow white was also not a movie that was nominated for best picture. This mm-hmm. year feels like the first year that truly, like, the single thing to note about this year, Oscar-wise, is that a movie won Best Picture that everyone agrees should not have won Best Picture over another major movie of that year that was also nominated.
0: I think it's the first big upset for for sure, and there is other interesting stuff this year that we'll get into eventually, like adding a documentary category, and of course the actress race this year, but it really is, like, uh, yeah, this is still primarily, predominantly known not as a Best Picture winner, but the film that beat a film that people almost universally believe. And I will say like up top, because I think I like this film more than you did, that I agree that Citizen Kane is the better film. I understand why I think the Academy picked this movie at this specific moment in time, but I agree that Kane is the better film and Kane is clearly the one that has been remembered. Maybe this is also one of the first years where a film is better remembered in history than the film that actually won. Because I know like we talked a bit about that with Zola, but it's like, yeah, like Snow White wasn't really nominated. No,
1: Yeah, this is the first year where like the obvious choice, according to the popular consensus, was a potential Best Picture winner. Like Snow White was never going to win Best Picture because it was never nominated.
0: Never going to be considered. Exactly um well i'd say we just like it's i mean to just sum it up because i feel like a lot of people who will listen to this haven't seen or heard of the movie it's basically it's the story of this uh kid well, well we be, wait,
1: wait. i'm gonna stop you really quick because i wanted yeah. to know because there has been some news oh, uh, for our current oscar race and i wonder do you want to just tap into that really yeah quick? I go, let's talk about it i just okay, watched so sound
0: of metal so i'm like slowly catching up on all. i have the, that on i have that
1: too i'm gonna knock that out this year um it's amazing this this year jesus this week. <laughs> yeah I'll it was one i I, i'll watch the reader someday it dropped on amazon and i told harry Bosch about it and said we should watch that it's a big like awards movie and i told her what it was about and she said no you can watch that alone so it's really just been on me to
0: watch it but i I had the opposite my wife was like oh i really want to see this let's watch it i was like great and i kept waiting for her to watch it and then finally i have to watch it for this kid's podcast i'm doing tomorrow and uh she was like oh just watch it without me
1: you're going on other podcasts
0: i know yeah bastard i I have other I have a life outside of uh, Best Pictures. No, so tell me what's the Oscar race news that you got. So,
1: the National Border Review has announced their Best Film of 2020. Um, they National Border Review is usually among the first uh, like awards to be given out in the award season mm-hmm. and they have announced uh The Five Bloods as the best picture of really? 2020.
0: I was going to guess Minari. Okay, cool.
1: But and here's the interesting thing though. Over the last t- for the entire last decade the National Board of Reviews Best Picture has only coincided with the Oscar for Best Picture one time. What was that time? You are not going to believe which one it is. It is oh, the least the likely one. one. It, is. it is the one you think it is. Ah, oh, fuck, really? Green Book, National Board of <gasps> Review winner 2018. And, and, and the thing with the National Board of Review is they kind of have a bit of the same problem as the New York Film Critics Circle, where it's like... Mm-hmm. New York Film Critics Circle is another like early awards outfit, and they kind of have this case where some movie will, some big glossy movie will premiere in New York on like Friday, and then the NYCC, N- NYFCC will have their awards on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And there's a bit of like a, okay, we're going to give the Post Best Picture because we've seen it and no one else has seen it. And oh, also just Review, have that
0: exclusive. Yeah. Is that, yeah,
1: like American Hustle won Best Picture from. New York Film Critics Circle, and I literally think, like, it's screened for critics the night, like, 12 hours before they had to put in their, like,
0: reviews. But the Five Bloods is the opposite, because it's been out for six months, and all these other films, like Minari and uh, No Land and stuff, like, we can't even watch them. I mean, I'm still very
1: curious about how the awards are going to play this year, because there's no longer any kind of, like, unified uh, viewing guarantee yeah it's there's like no linear movies, system to it there's no there's no premiere date there's no real like this is the day that it's going to be out in all of the major markets or like this is the day that it premieres on whatever five screens in new york and los angeles like there's nothing yeah. like that because of you know the hellish times that we live in so you have i think and like i don't know i tried to watch like i don't know you you just have more of like a people being able to come to movies on their own terms. And I know like, if you're a critic, it's your job to watch a movie that you're tasked with reviewing. I'm just very curious to see what the spread is going to be this year. Now that we've taken out something like, you know, a theater count doesn't really impact a movie's ability to be seen or be part of the conversation right now. And it's like, I don't know. Sometimes you want to turn stuff off. Like I had a digital screener for promising young woman that was not in the best like format or aspect ratio or picture quality
0: that movie's amazing
1: uh i I had thoughts on it that's all i'm gonna say uh wow i feel like it's not my place like i don't know i feel like who did
0: you identify with in that movie call it no i uh that movie would take like too many podcasts to talk about um well i was just gonna say though it's it's just
1: a movie that is like
0: no, it's I think you agree we're the wrong people to discuss it and it's it's too It's not a, a bad movie. That's okay,
1: here's what I'll say. Promising that's all I wanted woman, to hear. That's all I wanted I'm not to hear. saying it's a bad movie. I'm saying it's a movie that I had an aggressively like unpleasant time watching, which I know is the I, point.
0: I did but, too. I think that's uh, and I think it's really it's up to, I think minute uh, more than anything need to watch it. Um And I so. feel like
1: it's probably the movie of the last year that really uh suffered. From yeah. COVID. Because I feel like that is a movie that really needed to have that like theat like that theatrical. I think it would have been a huge sleeper hit. Because it been like right yeah. in the summer. Yeah. Yeah, like you know, everyone you, you see it in New York or LA first, and the buzz starts to build and it kind of platforms across the country and it becomes this big conversation piece where everyone's seeing it and everyone's talking about it. And instead it was like, okay, because like the for the guilds at least, the screener mm-hmm. distribution has been so bad, so it's like the DGA people have are all talking about it, but no one else has gotten to see it. No one in LA is able to go see like it in person. It's not playing at a drive-in for a couple of weeks. So, or what it is playing with a drive-in, they're pairing it with the Max Landis movie, which is a great yeah. call. Mission Tiki shout out. Uh, so, you know, you just you miss that singular moment where the thing's out in the world, right? It, this stuff is being spread out at a much
0: slower rate than it is, but
1: which see, comes that's back to my point about like. I'm curious what the spread of award nominations are.
0: Well, see, that's what I was going to say. I'm excited about what's going to happen in this upcoming year, because as we're recording this Sundance in its current form is kicking off. And what used to be this very exclusive thing, like anybody who's, uh, uh, could go on and just like buy a $15 digital ticket to watch any of these movies right now. Like it's taking away some of the exclusivity. Yeah, me yeah. too. And I, I'm I'm really excited about that, like taking away some of that like exclusivity where it's like you have to live in one of these major markets or you have to go to this big film festival or you have to have a friend with screeners. It's like if you have $15. You can go watch that Keith like, Stanfield movie. It's like I'm really excited to see what the Oscar race will work, look like when there's uh, a little bit more of a democratization of it. And everybody's able to talk about all these huge films at the same time rather than having that delay that we usually see from the prestige pictures. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm curious to see how, how that will look both in Sundance, but also in like South by where I feel like it'll be smaller films that are going to play. But that could also be something really great for the race uh, that we're not seeing these like se- uh, eight uh, figure uh, movies that are like taking up all the oxygen of the conversation.
1: Yeah. And I like I don't mean to say that like Minari and No Bad Man are the two biggest front runners for awards right now, only because of like the weirdness of the year. They're the front mm-hmm. runners because they're spectacular films. but exactly. They do also feel like the kind of movies that would get overshadowed by bigger, more populous, not necessarily worse, but maybe not necessarily as special movies mm-hmm. in a conventional awards year.
0: Exactly. And that's why I'm really curious. Like, I obviously this year will look very interesting, but it's really this upcoming year or now that we've like uh, adapted to it and we'll probably still have to do this type of distribution for year. what that's going to look like. But um, but let's get into How Green Is My Valley. Let's it's... get into
1: How Green My I just wanted to. Yeah, I just wanted to shout out to Five Bloods, which is my. Not my favorite, like I think probably top five of the year. Like I love okay. that movie. And I'm I am curious because it does seem to be like a big front runner this year, if for no other reason than for Delroy Lindo for Best Actor, who is just, mm-hmm. you know, one of those guys that like I don't think has ever been nominated, has been in so much stuff, is an actor everyone knows. And then I know that it seems like if well, he's this going, could be
0: Spike's year as well.
1: This could be Spike's year. What I was going to say, though, is like, it seems like if he's going to win his posthumous Oscar, Chadwick Boseman is going to get it for uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I agree.
1: could also see him pulling an upset and winning supporting actor for Defy Bloods, another movie he is fantastic
0: Oh, in. interesting. I feel like, I don't know. I think the supporting actor category is going to be a little too cluttered this year. And I could, I, I see him nail, like, for sure getting the uh, best actor at this point, if nothing else. Not even just for the posthumous, like, I didn't really like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, but he's, like, fantastic. He's in it. fantastic in it. Um, yeah. But anyways, it's so how green was my valley, a film that <laughs> did not come. Let's, out. Yeah, let, let's turn the um, dial back
1: 70 years now and talk about right. the valley Sorry. and how green it is.
0: Yeah, it's basically about uh, this uh, grown man leaving his childhood home and reflecting on uh, his family. Uh, they came from of uh, miners in this like small Welsh mining village. Uh, turn of the century, lots of conflicts with employers and romances and uh, mean teachers and capitalism. Uh, and just seeing this like sense of community, uh, that doesn't really exist anymore. Um, and it, again, like it's, it's John Ford's, it's his movie right after Grapes of Wrath. So again, it kind of has a lot of those, uh, similar themes of like immigrating to America and like perseverance, uh, through like, uh, family, despite like, uh, all this like industrialization and modernization. Um, I really like it. Like it, it, I'm a sap. It hit all of my sweet spot moments. There's like levity, there's drama and comedy. Uh, it's not better than citizen kane i don't think anybody would make that claim but i kind of get why it won for coming out in this specific year right, right after pearl harbor you called it an
1: upset earlier and i don't mm-hmm. i think that in the context of the time i don't think it was seen as that much of an upset because citizen kane right. well, like i think citizen kane would have been the upset because that movie didn't perform super well financially for its yeah.
0: time I guess I did mean kind of more, like, looking back on it as opposed to, like, when Green Book won, we all universally knew, like, that's the wrong call. Whereas, like, this is one, like, looking back 30, 40, 50 years, I think it became more and more apparent which film sh- was the film of the year.
1: Right. And it's, you know, I, I always feel like... I always feel generally for th- the movie that gets put in this position of, like, the undeserving Oscar movie. Mm-hmm. like I'm you know, there's an entire... Uh, troll subreddit that basically was founded off of the repeated idea and the repeated outrage of uh, Pulp Fiction losing Best Picture to Forrest Gump.
0: Right? Huh. I mean, one w- that year is gonna be bonkers when we mm-hmm. get that. I mean, it's like that Shawshank Redemption. Uh, yeah, that's gonna be a huge fucking year. Uh, when we talk about that one,
1: and it's like it, just the the ability of the internet to pile on things to where like it it elevates beyond like forrest gump isn't just like a less deserving movie than Pulp fiction forrest gump Mm -hmm. is a bad terrible movie that deserves like you know all of the shame or whatever and i I but it's also compared
0: to this film that ended up like kind of changing cinema for like the next 20 years and
1: like look i i i really really enjoy citizen king we we watched it uh whatever last month uh on the same night that Mank dropped it was Mankin, yeah yeah We was mad Mankin. um I I really don't like following just in step with this uh, sight and sound bullshit of just being mm-hmm. like, we have decided that Citizen Kane is the greatest movie of all time, you know yeah. what I mean? Like I, and, and, like, that is a cross that Citizen Kane has been forced to bear up until, whatever, nine years ago when it got dethroned by uh, Vertigo, where it's, mm-hmm. like, film is so subjective The individual experience of the person watching the movie is so subjective. I really don't like, you know, one governing body coming together. Like, it's one thing to make, like, a top ten list at the end of the year. Being like, here are the top ten movies that we like this year. It's another thing to dictate. We are putting this movie onto the pedestal and saying this is objectively the single greatest cinematic achievement of all time, especially yeah, despite
0: that being the thesis for our podcast to find out which one we feel is the best, best picture. No, but I
1: think this is like, I don't think we're going to talk about the movie that much. I think this is what we're going to talk about that much because it's like, we're not here to relitigate the Oscars. Right. Like we're here to talk about like why this movie won best picture over something like citizen Kane.
0: True, but I think you, you and I can subjectively say, like, if it deserved to win. Or even, like, it only won screenplay, obviously, through Mank, but it's like, I think the big reason to me Citizen Kane is still taught in film schools is because it's a better, I'm going to say this wrong, a better version of Birth of a Nation. Let me finish. It's a better Birth of a Nation because Birth of a Nation, the only reason we still watch it is because it essentially created shot composition, which, as we've talked about, any, it, that was right for the taking. Anyone would have done it. What I love about Citizen Kane is how it really modernized what you could do with cinematography it really revolutionized the idea of like having like super low like literally digging into the earth to have the lowest possible angles to be able to like tell stories really through blocking and shop composition kind of creating almost like what spielberg would like rip off like once he started working with like you know what they are able to do with perspective it's there's so much uh incredible things that like citizen kane does with that and despite the big thing I love about how green is my Valley is kind of like the cinematography, just because I think John Ford is the best at wide shots. Citizen Kane should have won cinematography. If nothing else, it's crazy. Like, yes, it, don- it only won screenplay. It's, it was nominated for everything else. And it didn't win like uh black and white interior decoration. It didn't win editing. It didn't win score. I don't know. It's, it's one thing that it didn't win picture, but it's also kind of a travesty that Kane didn't win. Like, any other awards besides screenplay in my opinion
1: well i mean it doesn't have any mind cinematography which is a ding against it and a ding <laughs> which is a movie. good why it won <laughs> but I, I mean citizen kane hollywood was so entrenched in the studio system's way of doing things in mm-hmm. 1940 that what makes citizen kane so special is that it is ostensibly a movie made by an outsider Right. Right. Like it's a movie made by a guy coming from the world of theater, someone who is a student of film, someone who understands dramatic technique and storytelling and performance, but isn't bogged down by, you know, years or decades or like a bibliography of, well, I've done this many movies and this is just how things are done. So he's coming into it. He's twenty. Orson Welles is coming into this. He's 25. He's full of energy. He knows he's hot shit when he made
0: this.
1: And he and so he's doing things in his way in the way that only he could really do them and as a result even as he makes the movie he's branded as an outsider he's branded as kind of a troublemaker because of the subject matter of citizen kane and it's Mm -hmm. you know attacks on william randolph hearst and his own kind of like big dick energy that he brings into every studio meeting so i think that citizen kane only wins It wins its one award for screenplay almost as like a nod to Mankiewicz. Like, it's like, okay, we don't need to singularly give Wells an award. We can acknowledge Herman Mankiewicz for his contributions to the film industry and to this movie in particular.
0: I was also going to say, isn't this the film you were telling me where the big reason that Havoc Games My Valley won was because extras were allowed to vote in the uh, Oscars?
1: This is the first year that extras are allowed to vote as part of the acting block and extras Mm -hmm. did not like orson welles now the reasoning behind that is not totally clear i'm sure it can have something to do with how extras retreated on the set of his one movie that he'd made at the time (laughs) but extras if you count them as voters they outnumber every single eligible uh actor for like a speaking role just because yeah they're extras
0: worth noting one big thing about how green was my valley a lot of extras in that movie like some massive massive epic spectacle uh crowded minor shots it's yeah, pretty I'm,
1: yeah i still don't understand like what i'm very curious to know the details about how like world war ii made the initial plans for this movie uh undoable because this still mm-hmm. feels like a massive movie ford still made fox finance the construction of like i th- i this think entire it was An 80 acre town. Yeah, like they Mm -hmm. built the entire mining town. So it does have these very, very impressive, even for black and white, like sweeping wide shots of the town and the mine and the valley, which is not very green in the image, but (laughs) I'm getting over that.
0: Let, so, let me yeah. ask you this, because I, I want to settle this. This was my big complaint when I first saw the movie, that like I feel like it might have been more effective if they had shot it color stock. Would you agree I, or disagree with
1: that? I think it definitely would have been more effective if they had shot it in color. And yeah, like, I think we talked last episode or the episode before that about how there are only like four or five Technicolor cameras in existence at this time, so the ability right. to shoot in color is very limited. I think there's only one movie this year that... That's a Best Picture nominee that is a color film. I think all the other ones are black and white. Because
0: I think we have seven black and white cinematography nominations and then like three for color. So it is still, it's a limited thing, but it's like, you know, like we joke about the greenness of it, but I think that's the big thing seeing like the innocence lost from both uh, Hugh and this town. Uh, I think that's an important thing to see. And I I love what John Ford does with like negative space, especially when it comes to like the coal smoke and uh, a lot of stuff that happens at the ending. But. Yeah, I think like it would have been a lot more effective of a scene, seeing like the beautiful uh town at the top of it and then seeing it slowly uh, degenerate over two hours. Yeah,
1: I you know, I was thinking watching this and I wanted to add on to your plot synopsis earlier, but I felt like I mean, this movie kind of doesn't have much of a plot.
0: No, there's the like first, three kind of wavy things that never it right op- really yeah, like
1: it opens with a big narration from the adult. Uh, voice of the youngest son of this family talking about leaving the valley forever or the valet as he calls it. (laughs) Then it has probably like 10 minutes of not silent, but no dialogue sequence where it's just people working and singing. And then there's a marriage and a church. And then there's like an after party for the marriage. And then it be, it's like equal parts, family drama kind of like histor like slow burn, like historical story about this mining town and like the hard times that they go over and all through kind of told through the eyes of this young boy who's growing up as the youngest of like, what is it, five sons? Five sons. sons.
0: And he is kind of an inactive storyteller. Like, the most yeah. interesting stuff in the movie is like, the sons want to unionize, or oh, like the daughter wants to marry the church uh, guy, but instead, like, she has to enter a loveless marriage. It's like there's a lot of interesting stuff going on, and he was just kind of observing. Which it's don't a lot. Yeah. But it is like there's not one thread we really follow throughout the whole movie.
1: Because of the opening narration, I assumed this was going to cover a longer span of time than it did. Like I kept waiting Mm -hmm. for like the midpoint where uh, a young as an adult or young. Yeah. yeah. We jumped to him as an adult and it's more of an epic, but uh, yeah, it's like this movie is just a bunch of small kind of stories set around this town. But I was reminded like, as I was watching it, that this feels like the good version of cavalcade. If that makes sense.
0: Oh, absolutely. especially the ending. It it feels almost popped. Like that was my big thing watching cavalcade. I was like, wow, it's almost like, shot for shot what happens at the ending but i i felt something in how green was my valley like i really uh wept for him and seeing like him lose his innocence uh watching his father die yeah. in the coal mine uh but it does feel like very similar like beats kind of set up but yeah like like cavalcade takes like three decades and this really only covers like two three years and then we jump yeah, as an it, adult
1: that, that kid looks so that is a young roddy mcdowell mm-hmm. who plays the, who plays the kid he's going to go on to be a fairly robust and prolific actor through the 60s and 70s um planet of the apes i guess i like he plays caesar in the original planet yeah, of the Apes. yeah that think would probably his, be his biggest role our th- i think that's his biggest role and he looks so young so like it always does kind of level you in terms of we haven't really covered that much in terms of time like i would mm-hmm. probably guess this covers two maybe three years max and it's like through his eyes but he's a very
0: inactive protagonist and yeah
1: just to lay it out like i'm right down the middle yeah you didn't hate it i i I, I feel like i I sold
0: you a little short
1: i didn't i didn't hate it at all uh i enjoyed parts of it i i thought it was a fine like i I literally i i watched it not an hour ago and then came right Right, right. to doing so it's like it's very fresh in my memory and it's very fine i don't Mm -hmm. i didn't take much away from it uh it it does kind of fall a little bit into the subject matter that i don't like which is like the gone with the wind thing of like weren't things better when and I, i never really get emotionally invested in that kind of story but I feel that a little
0: more in this one, though, because we see I feel like we didn't see it that much in Gone with the Wind. But in this one, we really get a whole sense of community, not just in the family, but in the town. Like they're always celebrate. They're always going to church together. They all work pretty much at the same place. They're celebrating constantly, drinking and singing. Like in that sense, I felt a little bit more of the camaraderie of like, yeah, feeling how things used to be. But it is it's like it's it's like passing of a bygone era for sure. I just
1: Um, I I had that. Uh, John Mullaney joke in my head during all of this being like, oh, fuck, it's the old times.
0: We should stress that uh, Colin owns a coal mining factory as well. So he felt that it wasn't a fair portrayal when they were trying to raise wages and in, uh, hire inexperienced workers.
1: Yeah, I mean, so like so John Ford was <laughs> the president of not the directors, the uh, director's guild, but of like the director's organization. Um, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know what it's called, but whatever the precursor to the DGA was, he was the exactly. president of it. So I definitely don't think because there are there are directors through history and working today who are very anti-union in their attitudes and their words. I don't think that John Ford was one of them. So I don't think that all of the anti-union sentiment in this movie was coming from him.
0: Yeah, I think it was a representation of the time. Um, But again, like I felt it as like a. Uh, a precursor to like things that were happening at the same time of just feeling these complex relationships between different generations and different ideas of doing things and just him like he literally having to decide like if he wants to try to make something of himself and get an education or if he just wants to follow in his family and father's footsteps like how he perceives himself if he is more than just the son of a minor um, do you have I don't know, like different, a lot of really for
1: me. my favorite part was definitely the teacher stuff.
0: The boxing. Yeah, that's definitely like that is fucking hilarious. There's a scene where he uh, he's getting bullied uh, by his classmates and then even by his teacher. He's getting whipped. And then he Paul uh, bet
1: ass looking motherfucker (laughs) teacher.
0: But then there's like a scene and it really caught me off guard because I will admit like the movie gets a little boring, especially in the second half. But then like two of like uh, the people, the poor miners from the town hear that like he got uh, beat up by the teacher at school as well they come in and they have like a boxing lesson for the kids. And it's literally the, just them like kicking the shit out of the teacher. Um, And that, I don't know. I love those little, like the best types of Oscar dramedies drama dramas for me. I've almost said dramedies, but it's kind of true is those ones that manage to have a little bit of levity. And it does kind of pump the brakes on the movie in this one, but I really loved, yeah, him learning how to fight uh, and like getting that education and like those little moments. But again, that comes from like the camaraderie of the town and like feeling like the family is bigger than what is in within the walls of uh, just this, like, one. Uh, the glyfolds. How do you say their last name? It's, like, Glypholds? I can't.
1: I, I'm not even going to try with Welsh, man. <laughs> like, I love oh, yeah. Wales. Oh, I've no, been... it's the Morgans. I'm thinking of
0: the yeah. whoever it was, the fucking um, the the, priest or whatever. Yeah. Um, um, do you
1: know what the tag for this movie was, like, on the poster?
0: It's something like, uh, like, rich are their um, struggles, hard are their emotions, H- handsome are their sun so it's like something like it's like those like big capital you have
1: the format life. right but you're zero for four it's rich is their <laughs> humor deep their humor. are their passions reckless are their lives mighty is their
0: story that's pretty good that's very salt of the earth like has that vibe and it's interesting, again like people mainly know john ford for westerns but it is like you know he, him coming off of this for grapes rapid again winning his third oscar one of which is two years in a row is so impressive but like the biggest thing i love to me is, is uh it's it's so hard to pit citizen kane and john ford against each other because they're some of my favorite like shot films of all time not necessarily how green but john right. ford is one of my favorite directors in terms of blocking and camera i think like very few directors understand the power of composition so naturally like he did um I have and that's something huge... that i what really impacted me in this film
1: i have a huge john ford gap Uh, in my watch list that i'm trying to catch up with and i will probably try to do more through this podcast i did i watched the searchers the other month and the less said about that the better but
0: uh, get then that eventually because no i I think i I think it's you know
1: i think it's interesting that this is his third oscar for best director it's Mm -hmm. his second consecutive oscar for best director and it's the first time he also wins best picture Mm -hmm. you know it's like if Ang Lee ever directs a movie that wins Best Picture, that'll be the only other time that happens that's right. Where yeah, someone he's, has he's won twice. Because Ang Lee has one, two so Best Director Oscars and no Best Picture winners that he's directed, mm-hmm. which is so, so weird. interesting. Um, yeah, that's
0: curious that none of his have won. I I guess Life of Pi would have been the year for him to win, but, but I, that I was the Argo that year. Was for. That was the Argo. Yeah, year. that's right. That's interesting. Yeah. And it's like um, Argo
1: is such a just a crazy like success story even yeah. like by the Oscar standards that you kind of can't beat it. But it had that insane thing where Ben Affleck didn't get, uh, sorry.
0: He that. didn't, uh, Ben Affleck wasn't even nominated, uh, that Did year. And get... I think that was the big stink and led to, I think a lot of people picking Argo over it almost out of spite.
1: Well, it's just like Argo had already won so much. Like it won the golden globe. And then he, Ben Affleck doesn't get the best director nomination. So the movie then mm-hmm. wins the DGA, the WGA, the PGA, and the SAG Award. So it's just this unstoppable movie that is also missing one of the integral nominations that one usually gets when you're on the road to winning Best Picture.
0: Right. It was definitely like a very noticeable snub. Um, I'm trying to think of. I. Uh, I'm trying. Is there anything else about like? Because I know we had talked about. There's not much to say about. Because I think we both agree. Even though I like this film more than you, it's like this was Citizen Kane's year. Uh, but again, it's I think about like everything that was happening in 1941 and just like the especially like, you know, the Oscars this year, like a month or two after Pearl Harbor. I feel like just the Academy when voting was in just such a different mindset. Um, but then it could have been as well, like Citizen Kane never had a chance of the moment. But um, I think Kane should have won. I I don't hate that. It's not like Green Book, uh in terms of green movies that have won Best Picture. I, I don't. To completely feverishly disagree that this film should have won it still feels like an oscar winning film the based on what else we've seen so far
1: the recurring like thing i've seen uh in describing this movie is that it's a masterpiece of john ford's sentimental human drama mm-hmm. like that's what john ford is credited for making sentimental human drama
0: yeah, which like we're not dehumanizing Native Americans. And, and making, like, just a...
1: <laughs> yeah, and like this is like kind of a whiplash coming off of Rebecca, which like the more I thought about it since our last episode, like it is so weird that Rebecca won Best Picture when it did. Yeah, because that is a weird movie that is a bleak movie and even Gone with the Wind, as we've talked about, like is a very bleak, very dark movie. This one kind of feels like a course correction in terms of like, all right, we're at war now. We need the feel good, like lovable movies that everyone loves to start winning Oscars. And like, mm-hmm. and that's what this is. Like this movie feels to me like the most expensive episode of little house on the Prairie. ever produced.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's that. I would say that's a, that's a fair uh, characterization of the film.
1: <laughs> and I don't know. It's like Clint Eastwood names. This as one of his favorite movies, which kind of makes sense as like, Oh, yeah. Sort of the, you know, the current living iteration of, like, the energy that John Ford brought to our industry. I, I, I yeah. get it. Like, I I don't. I don't hate the movie for winning Best Picture. Like, I under Like, Citizen Kane had no chance to win Best Picture when it came out. Right. I really do believe that. I feel like it was a divisive movie made by a divisive person that made a big splash in Hollywood, but also pissed off a lot of people that you need to not piss off if you want to win an Oscar.
0: And it's. Yeah. And it's amazing it was yeah. nominated as well. for is, uh, Not for, just picture, yeah. but for everything. Like, but, uh, uh, K- uh, Orson Welles was nominated for, like, four different Oscars that
1: year. Orson Welles uh, is the first. So, the year before this, we had The Great Dictator. Mm-hmm. Charlie Chaplin is nominated for Best Actor, Director, and uh, Producer. Sorry, I have to look I think up. he
0: gets Picture as well, right? For- picture, so oh, no. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't sure if he was nominated for a Picture, if that was, like, another producer on the film.
1: Uh, For Production, yeah. So, he's for nominated. Great Dictator, yeah. Yeah, sorry. So, so he's nominated for best actor, best writer, and best uh, picture. So that's the first time someone has three awards. Was he not nominated for director? Not for director. No.
0: Really? That's interesting. I could have sworn he was. Okay. Um,
1: this year Orson Welles is nominated for best director, best writer, best picture, best actor. So it's the first Mm -hmm. time someone has gotten that that four spread.
0: Right. That's uh. Yeah. Exactly. And again, it there it was also nominated for like a ton of other awards this year as well. Like I think we're starting to see. I think there were a bunch of films this year where they're nominated for like eight different Oscars. One was nominated for like nine, and that was the record up until like the '50s or '60s for like no, how many um, nominations. For, wait, no, I for thought, how like, many? Yeah, I could have sworn there was one that was nominated for like nine or ten, and that was like the record. So this for year, at least a couple of years.
1: Well, okay, so let's move over into the Oscars because I think like, do I don't I don't have anything more to say about this
0: movie. It's. I it's think fine. we've we've yeah. <laughs> it's fine kane should have won first big upset uh um, let's get into 14th annual honor. so
1: gone with the wind still holds the record for 13 nominations
0: i believe mm. gone with the wind got maybe 13. it was a thing about nominations but no wins maybe i'm fairly I'm sure
1: gone with the wind holds the record until all about eve in 1950 which gets 14 and all or, or right. 17 one of those now i have to look it up jesus christ so stupid
0: you know, I think the number I'm thinking of is nominations without wins because it's that and then, like, eventually we get to, like, the color purple. Oh, okay. I, see I think that's saying. the number I was thinking of. That's Wasn't
1: not... that, um... I feel like now it's, uh... What, American Hustle or Wolf of Wall Street, right? Because both those movies got 13 Maybe. nominations and no wins.
0: Yeah, you might be right. Or, like, even, like, Hugo, I feel like, was a similar situation. All About Eve was, like... has
1: 14 nominations,
0: so... and, yeah. and But but it's also... But obviously it wins some stuff as well.
1: But you also have to consider, like, the percentage of nominations it gets versus the percentage of available categories, because there are different categories now. So, yeah. like, La La Land having 16 nominations, it has the same percentage of nominations for the category spread as All About Eve At did time. for the available nominations that were there in 1950.
0: But Exactly. Which, are, our categories are starting to look more and more like what they do today, but we have some new categories this year, which include art direction, interior decoration, something like that. I think like that's that. the same thing. Like, it's, okay. it's,
1: it's essentially the art direction Oscar. They split it between color and black and white, like they've that, done okay. with cinematography. So yeah. you get a sense of making a set for a black and white film versus making a set for a color film. Again, you have way too many nominations in every mm-hmm. category. You have a bunch of nominations that are withdrawn for reasons I can't figure out
0: yeah i noticed that as well in the in the book i've been reading like i was trying to like figure out why they were doing that and like the music thing was very confusing. well it's not that confusing it's like we have scoring of a dramatic picture and scoring of a music picture now um so those are two categories yeah so
1: it's on its way to having like the score for a musical versus the Mm -hmm. score for a non-musical which is going to be kind of a weird dance that those two categories play until like I believe it's 1985, which is when there aren't enough musicals eligible to justify the existence of that category
0: anymore. Well, and I think we're about to come to a thing because, again, like the the Oscars this year are happening like a month or two after Pearl Harbor. And after this, we're going to see I think the Hays Code finally lifts on like uh, anti-Nazi films. But then also, I think we're going to see a real rush of like war films. And because we used to have like a really equal balance of like your rom-coms, your musicals, your adventure films. And now it's just going to be like war, 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 war. For at least, like, the next couple of years. In terms uh, yeah, of like, I, I think mean, what we're going to see nominated.
1: It's the subject of the time. And, you're, you you mm-hmm. know, we'll have Casablanca. Mrs. Miniver is a war film. Casablanca is a war film. Like, that's that's where we are headed, basically. Yeah. Right? It's this, this backdrop event that mm-hmm. kind of informs the plot of the movie. But, okay, so Sergeant York has 11 nominations this year. That's the most nominated movie. I think it only wins one gary cooper for best actor which you know mm. gary cooper is. Feature- time of many yeah so you have gary cooper winning best actor and you know he was a featured player back in wings our first episode so that's kind of a thing that comes uh full circle i don't think yes yeah, Sar- that's the only thing sergeant york wins mm-hmm.
0: it looks like
1: how green was my value well, we also have you, you go ahead,
0: donald well, I was just gonna uh, go off of that because Donald Crispin wins for playing Mr. Morgan in How Green, which I I think he deserved to win. Yeah, good,
1: um, but he's also match. somebody.
0: Who, it's a great performance, and he we'd seen him in like uh, let me think like Emile Zola, uh, Mutiny on the Bounty, Birth of a Nation. Um, but he's also somebody that's been there since like the jump. He used to be like a silent screen director. Oh, so that's really interesting. I didn't realize the lead actor as well had like been in like a ton of stuff before this. As I
1: well. didn't know that.
0: Yeah. He he really was like there from like the jump of films. Like it was like him and Buster Keat, which were the big two like directing like silent comedies. Um and then yeah, he was there like even since the DW Griffin wow. stuff. Again, he plays uh, I think he plays uh Grant in, in uh the Birth of a Nation, so there you oh, go. Lovely. But um but he's great as Mr. Morgan. It's uh the the family patriarch. Uh he does a great job. Yeah, thing. I mean, you know, uh,
1: America I, I don't know, we we've seen a few patriarch roles. In this show, like and you can't take it with you and uh Cavalcade and such and like uh, yeah he's I mean he's the closest thing the movie I mean he wins supporting actor he is the closest mm-hmm. thing that movie has to a lead in my opinion, but
0: yeah, because like you said it's a it's not a very centralized movie mm-hmm. I don't know who you'd call the lead maybe the kid but, exactly
1: uh yeah. to what you were trying to say earlier, the little foxes
0: does That's set the, the record
1: of, yeah. it gets nine nominations and no wins
0: exactly and then we see that broken i think in like the 50s for peyton Place, and then like
1: uh yeah and then and then it goes to the color purple Yeah, color right? purple and turning point each get 11 nominations That's without right. a win
0: mm-hmm. well and i we haven't talked about like this year yet we're back at the biltmore and like i've said it's like two months after pearl harbor did you have you did you hear the story about betty davis for this no tell me so uh, the Academy was thinking of canceling the Oscars because of like Pearl Harbor and wanting to like, you know, it didn't feel like the right time to focus on all the pageantry. Betty Davis, who was then the new president of the Academy, said that they should do it. But instead of doing it in a banquet hall, she was pitching. They do it in a large auditorium and do it more like a show. And like the public could buy tickets and proceeds would go to charity. Academy go- governors quickly vetoed against it. They still did the Oscars, but instead like no formal attire and they called it a dinner instead of a banquet. But Betty Davis was close to making the Oscars how the Oscars are now, which I thought was that's
1: wild because like the only video that either of us could find of this year is a silent just kind of compilation of people sitting at tables and clapping like softly Yeah. as Gary Cooper and Joan Fontaine accept their Oscars.
0: Which can we talk about the actress category this year? Because it's pretty zany.
1: Uh yeah, so uh I'll let you lead. So this is the first year, I believe, the only year where siblings are pitted against each other in an
0: actor in race. the same category. I couldn't think of another Joan one. Fontaine you're right. uh, nominated for
1: Suspicion and Olivia De Havilland for Hold Back the Dawn, both for Best Actor. Uh, two women who notoriously do not like each other and do not get along. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: And she, yeah, like we talked about last year, like Joan Fontaine. We we talked about a bit of the politics of why Joan Fontaine uh, didn't win for Rebecca. Uh, do you feel like this is the year I haven't seen? Because uh, he, she wins for a Hitchcock movie, right?
1: She wins for Suspicion. She is right. the only uh, performance to win an acting Oscar for a Hitchcock movie, which which is still so pisses crazy. me off. <laughs> Her, like, win- I, I don't like Suspicion. I don't think it's very good. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, a lesser effort from Hitchcock. I, I said it on the last episode. I feel like Joan Fontaine is playing a less developed version of the second Mrs. De Winter from Rebecca. And I kind of right. feel like... I mean, I, I, no disrespect to Ginger Rogers, but Joan Fontaine winning for Suspicion feels like an honorary award for her performance in Rebecca.
0: I was about to say... Uh, I think it feels like a redemption Oscar, which we've seen a couple times in the past.
1: And it also kind of feels like the biggest damnation of suspicion that Cary Grant, who is the co lead of that movie, is nominated for Best Actor this year, but not for Suspicion. He's nominated for another movie, right? And That's Cary so interesting. Grant, like, I feel like we don't see that one... much anymore. No, well, you just don't see actors doing two movies in the same, much less like That's two true. Oscar, like, potentially like Oscar winning, movies, you know. Mm-hmm. But Cary Grant will only go on to have one other acting nomination, and he will never win.
0: What? What? Uh, what is it for?
1: Uh, it is for I had so Penny Serenade is the movie he has this year, and mm-hmm. then he is nominated for in 1944 for None But the Lonely Heart
0: interesting oh I was just thinking like what about North by Northwest and it's no. like no that we just talked, yeah. said it's a he, Hitchcock movie so we...
1: Carrie Grant <laughs> never wins an acting Oscar which just like th- that to me feels like George you know us being in 2020 and living in a world where like George Clooney hasn't won an
0: Oscar for acting oh yeah but I mean like oh my god like charade to catch a thief like even like Philadelphia story last year it's like that I mean I love insane
1: that he never loved Philadelphia story I can't believe Jimmy Stewart won for that movie and not Carrie Grant because Carrie Grant right. steals that movie for me
0: Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, I had no idea, but yeah, I guess I was trying. I was uh, gonna see if you had known of any other like sister, brother, siblings that were like not because I was thinking maybe in like our uh, music dynasty that maybe like some of them were or something. Um, well, I guess we can talk more about like what the Oscars like. We have Bob Hope seeing again. Will uh, Win- yep, uh, and again like he's easily gonna be the lead. Wendell L. Willicky. I- I'm a pretty big political buff. I've never heard of this dude, but because FDR spoke at the Oscars last year for equal time they have a republican speak at the oscars this year which i would love to see happen again i want like biden to say like a nice like a uh, minute long thing this year and then next year they're just like please welcome from uh the state of texas senator ted cruz that'd be fucking hilarious oh uh, well and i
1: yeah i would say that that would be funny if we hadn't had sean fucking spicer walk out oh, of I the Emmys three years ago and get a roar no. of bombs, they never have like... another
0: Spitfield uh, free meal in uh. their lives but um I just thought that was really interesting. It was like an FCC shared time thing. I don't know if it was like done in the sake of like uh, solidarity or if it was like a rule that they'd suddenly have because you know obviously with broadcasts like new rules are coming up every day. Yeah.
1: I um I just finished reading Live from New York, which is oh, yeah. the uh, the SNL uh, like unfiltered book, which like I bought five years. ago. Oh yeah, ago I read it and ages I finally and finally
0: actually it. it's finished
1: great. now. And it was funny to me because I I never really uh picked up on just how frequent an occurrence it was for a political candidate for president to host snl like i i remember being of furious when trump hosted because it felt because they they did that circumventing thing where they were like well we're hosting him as an entertainer because he's the host of the apprentice we're not counting this as like yeah. equal airtime because he's a presidential candidate but like reagan hosted it Giuliani mm-hmm. hosted it when he was mayor George Bush hosted it to like you ha- like it was actually SNL kind of became like an important political oh yeah like tool for presidential That's, candidates it's, to
0: use it's rare like, for hosting could, but it's like especially now it's like almost like a given that you're gonna like pop into the background or like be on like an open a cold open sketch or something like that
1: but it's what, but like, that's one thing for like Hillary Clinton to pop up and like hang out with Amy Poehler playing Hillary Clinton. It's another thing yeah. for them Kate to McKinney, like, but yeah. post, you know? I... No, no, to do. Amy, uh, oh, that's right. She did come up with that too. When I was I... during the primaries, Amy Poehler about 20... was Hillary Clinton.
0: Still thinking about Get 2016, old 2016 man. Um, no, yeah, it's it's definitely a more common thing for them to, like, come on and, uh, like, be in the background or something. Like, I remember, I, I wasn't political in 2008, but I remember everybody coming on, including, like, when Obama came on for uh, the Christmas one right before he won. Or, sorry, the Halloween episode uh, right before he won. But, um, oh, I remember what I was going to say, though. I, I was curious, yeah, because there aren't any other, like, uh, sister brothers against each other. I thought maybe, like, in one of the music dynasties... We would have seen like uh, some Newmans like facing off uh, against each other, but I guess uh, it hasn't happened.
1: Uh, we might. We just this mm. is in acting alone. I don't think it has ever happened since Joan Fontaine and yeah. Olivia. That's happened, interesting because it's off. like
0: I'd love to like see a movie or read a book about them because I the big thing I always knew about them is that they were always like pitted against each other, always despised each other.
1: The the Rebecca criterion uh has interviews with joan fontaine that are just like Mm -hmm. from like the 70s and it's not even really about rebecca it's just a general discussion with joan fontaine and she basically just says like we've never gotten along and we're now old enough to know we're probably (laughs) never going to get along and that's that
0: oh that's so it's very sad but it is just really yeah that's that's realistic once you hit like 50 or 60 it's just like yeah there's not a bridge to mint here which is a shame but
1: I mean, I, I wouldn't say no to an Oscar race where Ben Affleck and Casey Affleck had to go. <laughs> that seems like toe. one that
0: would be like a, a most realistic one, like coming up. Like, I'm trying to think of other like family ones. Like most of what I'm thinking is like fathers and sons where it's like uh like Lucas Hedges kind of thing where it's like the dad's like a writer director, but the son is an actor. So they wouldn't like face off against each other. But
1: All right. Uh, you can have Alexander. Oh, there you and go. Scars. we can have.
0: Ethan because I know Joel off. Cohen's doing like his own individual film like the the Shakespeare thing or whatever so maybe him and Ethan Cohen each make their own movie and then we finally Brother V Brother but he does that more no, often no but even like, then like I, I Ethan Cohen's like, like been a producer on I feel like them. this is like one of the first ones where they're totally separate
1: he a producer yeah but it's like I think it's more often to see Joel Cohen singularly direct a movie that is produced by Ethan Cohen does he, I don't think Ethan he doesn't on his own but that's why I'm like because so this right?
0: is the first one where it's like Ethan Cohen isn't even involved in this upcoming one that Joel Cohn's doing. So I'm like, Oh, if Ethan goes off and makes his own movie or maybe even like, at least like writes, they both could be up for like script or something like that would be very interesting to me. Um, Oh, speak.
1: There should be a year where Nicholas Cage, uh, Jason Schwartzman, Sophia Coppola and Francis Ford Coppola. Are there you all go. Have the whole like dynasty
0: of the Coppola. Uh, mo- most rich for no reason. Yeah. Um, no, what about... um? Okay, so speaking of screenplay, maybe you can explain this to me. We have three screenplay categories. Best original story, best right. screenplay, best adapted screenplay. And here comes Mr. Jordan wins two of those. How did that happen?
1: Yes. Because I think story... Okay, so, like, original story can also bleed over
0: into screenplay, Yes, I guess play, so. Right? I still... I know you explain this to me every episode.
1: Because... It still breaks my brain. Generally, it's like... And, and you still see this to this day, right? Where it's like, you might see a movie that says, Screenplay by X, Story sure. by X, right? And that could either mean that, like, okay, this person wrote the, like, document that plotted out what the story was and then this other guy wrote the screenplay or like this person wrote a screenplay with this story this other guy radically changed the screenplay to such an extent that he is the credited screenwriter but still right, the story but you never give the oscar now, to the person who wrote the um, book
0: you know like aaron sorkin got the oscar for social network they're not going to give it to the guy who wrote like the accidental billionaires like that would be weird
1: Right. But in the case, in this particular case, though, best screenplay is Here Comes Mr. Jordan. The writers are Sidney uh, Buckman and Seton I. Miller, based on the play Heaven Can Wait by Harry Siegel. Now, Harry Siegel wins the Oscar for Best Original Story for Here Comes Mr. Jordan. So to me, that says, yeah, I'm pulling it up right now, but it looks like he wrote the play, adapted his own play for the studio which was then adapted again by the screenwriters. Okay, that's a little different. I get
0: because I was just like, this is like our 12th or 13th adaptation in a row to win Best Picture. And we've never, it's not like we've seen the person who wrote uh, like the book, How Green Is My Valley. It's like, I don't think, I don't think it was the same person who wrote the screenplay. So it's like, we didn't see both of them get nominated. It's just very weird. I know you agree. It's It's, just, I'm still like trying to figure it out. it, it,
1: It breaks my brain. Yeah, it breaks my brain every time. Come up against this because this is the second year where you have the three writing mm-hmm. categories. Uh, that is the best answer I can provide because there's surprisingly right. little, and
0: room. we still have like tons and tons of, like you said, tons of nominations uh, in each of these categories. We're still at like like the average being like eight to ten nominees per category. um Which again, I think in a couple of years we're going to yeah. start to see that tighten up, but we'll see.
1: Um, okay, what else? Uh, this is the first year mm-hmm. to have the best documentary right. the category. So you have uh, a yeah. Churchill's Island, which is the first winner for Best Original docu- best, oh, sorry, Documentary. They broadcast part of the ceremony on the radio. I have not been able to find me neither. I to tried to look for them, so, though, because really it's like
0: they're starting to do that more and more. Or it's interesting, like because we keep finding these little sizzle reels on you, the like, silent sizzle reels on YouTube, where it's like somebody was clearly shooting footage there. But they didn't have anything anywhere else to put it, and then with this one, it's like sometimes they'll record at least some of the speeches, and they didn't do that this year.
1: You also have an interesting split of the live action short subject, where you have one reel and two reel. Which I must saw that be was link. last
0: year as well, but I didn't totally understand what it meant. If it's like if these are like news reels, or it, okay. it just has to
1: be linked. are like
0: how how long was a reel back then? Is it like yeah. a twenty minute like thing, or is it?
1: 20 yeah i think okay. reels are about 10 minutes so one reel would be 10 minutes or less for where, where two reels would be 20 minutes. okay
0: but they didn't like do it by like genre, uh, genre like they did in the first like comedies uh shorts or stuff like that it's specifically by yeah. runtime that's really interesting um it's also like we you have I just, a, well i, I was art, just like we made a drum can, uh documentary category so quickly and yet it's going to take us another like 80 years to get to having uh, uh animation feature category obviously disney's running the gambit but well even, i am mean, like you know, we got it way too late. is all Is all I always say about that.
1: you, you do have Dumbo winning best original score, best comedy which, score. So second consecutive year that a Disney animated, uh right? Not dramatic yeah, score. score or right. best so like music. Second picture, consecutive like, year, whatever the fuck. Sorry, go ahead. I still won't watch the original Dumbo. It, it yeah. scars me, so I consider it a dramatic <laughs> score. But uh, to what you were saying, though, is I think with um, Best Documentary is you have the rise of Very war propaganda film. Churchill's Island is a movie about Britain's resistance during mm-hmm. the bombings from Germany and about like Churchill's efforts to repel Nazi Germany. So I think that a, a big part of the rise of this category is all of a sudden you're not only having like the newsreels, you're having like full on kind of feature length, like artifacts that document. Yeah. what is going on like churchill uh, and like look churchill's island is only mm-hmm. 21 minutes long but that's still like significant compared to like whatever the two or five minute little like news item you might have gotten before you went to go see snow white or something like that just did you ever prior. see
0: or read uh five came back
1: yeah and uh and i've watched the um uh yeah i've seen, watched like, the, the netflix show? Show. i know
0: it's based on a, a book about like all these yeah. directors that were doing that because mm-hmm. that's
1: why frank capra yeah, Mark Harris, who you should read that book and you should read Pictures at a Revolution, which is about the 1960, uh, not nine, uh, 1968 Oscars. Right. It's about the year The Graduate. Uh, wins. Um, yeah, like, and like, that's kind of like Frank Capra, biggest Oscar like player of the last decade, suddenly gone because he's off mm-hmm. making war documentaries yeah. to help the Allies.
0: Which is really interesting. Yeah, and I, again, I'm I'm curious to see like how we're going to see that uh, bleed into like what the movies that we see win, but also like, I'd be curious, like when we start breaking down, like what's been nominated each year for Best Picture, which ones are war movies, or even which ones are specifically anti-Nazi war movies, and then which ones are our standard fare of westerns, adventure films, comedies, uh, fa- family dramas, etc.
1: Mrs. Mi- I mean, I feel like Mrs. Miniver is kind of a breaking point for that because that is a decidedly right. World War II movie, Com- basically the first World War II movie to like be a like uh, to win the of Oscar, course. and then you have Casablanca right after that. Um, what else? You have Bernard Herrmann, who is nominated for doing the score for Citizen Kane, but wins for The okay. Devil and Daniel Webster, and he's gonna go Everything. on to do, uh, yeah, he does the man. He's taxi who Driver. Too much. He, he does. does he, he becomes he does everybody's go-to Vertigo. Yeah. He yeah. This is his only win, but yeah, he does the original Cape Fear. He does the Birds. He does Rear Window. He does. He does pretty much all of Hitchcock's like major movies for the rest of Hitchcock's life. Taxi Driver is mm-hmm. second to last uh score but like you
0: know he, uh, stand alive, yeah right? especially with this uh, like work with hitchcock uh but he uh if anybody's into autobiographies uh the guy who edited like everything from like star wars to ferris bueller wrote a great autobiography recently called a long time ago in a uh in a cutting room far far away and he has a lot of Ber- uh, bernard herman stories like he ended up kind of becoming good buddies with him in the second half of his life uh, and there's a lot of, uh, yeah, just uh, good things about him uh, just being kind of a snarky old bastard and stuff. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Bernard Herman, one of the best uh, composer, uh, film composers of all time, unquestionably, I would argue. Yeah,
1: one of the best to sure. do it.
0: But yeah. uh, I think that's it for me for this year. Is there anything else uh, interesting that happens? We're we're yeah. getting into the throes of World War Two. Disney but, yeah, comes Disney back wins and- for Fantasia, right? He gets a special award.
1: Uh, not. Is I think Fantasia they get like a year?
0: he gets like a special award for Fantasia. Oh yeah. shit!
1: It is yeah, he gets a it's an honorary yeah. I didn't even realize Fantasia this mm. was this year because of Dumbo. So yeah, honorary awards for Fantasia. I was gonna say it comes back and it wins the cartoon uh, short category with Len in Your Face, Tom upon. and Jerry. But yeah, but uh, as I said um, last episode, you also have the Fleischer Studio mm. Superman short. Getting nominated, which no, you actually, I was going to ask
0: you if you had seen it. They are, yeah,
1: they are incredible. They they are so incredible, and it's like, it, it's this weird thing where they're like they're so cutting edge as animation, even like to watch now. And I I just you know I I've listened to every interview I can find of uh, Bruce Tim or any any of the animators who kind of worked on the DC Renaissance of like the 90s and the early 2000s with the uh, Batman, Superman, mm-hmm. the Justice League show, all of that all of them point to the Fleischer really? Superman shorts as like their initial inspiration, just in terms of the craft going into the actual mm. animation itself. It's very on un- like, even today it feels kind of unlike oh, wow. anything you've ever seen. It's a very, yeah, it, it's very, very um, interesting. And I'm currently, I'm trying to go through all of the DC animated movies that are on HBO max. And it's funny. Cause like, you can kind of point to like whatever year that thing was made very much dictates the style of animation. It is because Bruce, Tim kind of mm-hmm. was the stylist for all of DC animation for a good yeah. 15 years. And for the last 15 years, they've kind of started to shift more towards like an almost anime light style and you can see kind of the shifts, like, especially when you get to like the 2000. Oh yeah. Especially coming from
0: like the noir, like the literal noir of like the Batman animated, uh, movies and the series. Yeah. yeah. Just like the, the their sh- work of yeah. shadows and composition is right. still unparalleled, uh, in animation to me.
1: And it's also just very interesting. Cause it's like, this is 1941 and they're making mm-hmm. superhero content and that's gonna kind of become the dominant genre of Hollywood uh-huh. for the last 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which I believe might be our, first, not counting, other than the Broadway melodies that we've done, this might be the only other time we've seen a remake or a readaptation of a property that had previously yeah. been a big Oscar. And player.
0: we do we still have the special effects category this year? I feel like when I was reading through, okay. We still have the special effects category. Because that was the big thing categories. with that one that I was surprised we, have, we didn't see uh, that hap- well, get makeup.
1: I Wanted Wings is the winner. Okay. Her best special effects in the year 19. Any relation before. to
0: the first winner or going? Okay. <laughs>
1: no, it, it does go up against that Hamilton woman, which is the, uh, everyone knows is the uh, Eliza Hamilton biopic.
0: Is it really? Oh, that would have been, a, I would have yeah. like, Oh, I'll add that to my watch list.
1: It is a movie about, uh, looks like, yeah, it's about planes. It's oh. about, uh, World <laughs> War two <II>
0: bombers. <laughs> Right on. Well, I think that's it for me for this uh, year. Is there any other interesting Oscar facts for you for this one? Or we will move on to Miss Miniver for uh, next week.
1: Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, like, you know, we squeeze an hour out of this, <laughs> which I'm impressed uh, with us for. But we, our last episodes went pretty long. So that's that's OK. I like. This is just kind of a like we there's not much to talk about this movie for me other yeah. than the Citizen Kane of it all, which is like kind of what I find interesting in it about it and why I like this. uh I don't know this particular like format for our podcast works because we can talk about mm-hmm. the broader context of it. other than that. Thank you for listening. Please remember to uh, rate review and subscribe on whatever podcast uh, outlet you choose. Follow us on Twitter, best pick pod. We've been kind of dead there as of now, but our gone with the wind episode is about to drop finally. So hopefully we'll start to, you're telling people that like, that this will up. come out like two um, weeks
0: after our gone with the wind one. So they'll just be like, what are we talking about?
1: I know, but, you know, I th- I think it's cute to give a timestamp. Yeah, they're just like GameStop. That was a we month ago. A longer... <laughs> yeah, hey, you know, GameStop could be president of the United States. Yeah, Reddit's pretty good at
0: that. We'll see what happens. This um, but yeah, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you guys uh, next week for Miss Uh Yeah, looking forward to it. Mm-hmm.
1: The Valley's not green. It's black and white.